morning to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll begin our reading at verse 22, and we'll read through verse 33. This is the words of Jesus. Those of you who have a red letter edition, you'll notice that most of this is in red. This is Jesus speaking. Luke 17, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then Jesus gives two illustrations here from the Old Testament. Verse 26, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. The second illustration is verse 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building, but on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and once again, and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Verse 32, three words. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Our focus today will be primarily on one verse, three words. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Today, I would like to preach a message entitled, Remember Lot's wife. Let's go ahead and ask God's blessing on our time together this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather together as your people. Thank you for the songs that we sang this morning. Thank you for that amazing love. Thank you for leaving heaven's glory, humbling yourself and becoming a man. Lord, this morning we ask you to have your presence here in a special way. We know that you have sovereignly ordained for any spiritual change that will last there are always three things that must come together. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. We have your words before us. We are gathered together as your people. 
we ask you right now for your Holy Spirit to come and work in our hearts. We know that your Holy Spirit indwells those who know you, but we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and bring about spiritual change, real lasting spiritual change, whether it is salvation or some area of sanctification. Please help me as I deliver your message this morning. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Today's sermon will be borrowing from a sermon that was actually preached over 150 years ago by Pastor J.C. Ryle. He was a pastor in England, and he was in the second half of the 19th century, so approximately 150 years ago. He preached a sermon entitled, A Woman to be Remembered, and it's in his book, Holiness. So I'm going to be quoting from Ryle and his book, the sermon, throughout the sermon this morning. And I just want to once again make a little plug for Ryle's holiness book. How many of you have read some or all of Ryle's holiness book? Okay, let me encourage you. I don't know if you have it downstairs in the bookstore, but I'm sure you can get a copy of it, digital version, if you're interested in that. That is one of my favorite books. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is, is borrowed from that sermon. So I want to start off with, um, before we get into some of the main points, I want to start off with just two introductory questions. And we're going to be looking at a bunch of different questions this morning. The first question that we need to address is, who was Lot's wife? Who was Lot's wife? We don't know her name. Just like Noah's wife, we don't know her name either. There's conjecture out there, different names. <clears throat> but what we do know is that she was aware of the one true God from her husband, Lot, and from her uncle through marriage, who was Abraham. We also know, based upon the testimony of the apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter indicates that her husband, Lot, certainly with many faults, but the, the Apostle says that her husband, Lot, was a righteous man. He says this a number of times. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, you don't need to turn there, but I'll read it for you. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So we know that her husband was a righteous man. He had certainly he had a lot of issues. He lingered. We're going to see that in just a few moments. He lingered and he was um, probably not the best father and husband, but he was a righteous man. We also know from the scriptures that Lot's wife left Sodom the day that God destroyed the city. And we also know that while leaving the city, she looked back against God's clear command not to do so, and that she died instantly being turned into a pillar of salt. I'd like for us to just refresh our memory real quick of the story. So I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, just to refresh our memories of the story. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but we know that these angels, there's two angels that came. They were with Abraham, and then they came down to the city of Sodom and gave God's message. And we see what happened there in the first 11 verses. I'm not going to refresh that part of the story, but there was a number of certain number of things that happened there. And the angels stayed the night there, and then they told them that they need to leave. They told Lot and his family they need to leave. Let me pick up in verse 12, Luke, uh, Luke, 
Genesis 19, verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place. For the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-law to be jesting. Verse 15. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. And that's another whole sermon that actually J.C. Ralph preached as well. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him and they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, and or you will be swept away. And I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. Let's go down to verse 23. Verse 23, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground. Verse 26 is our key verse here. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So if we summarize everything about Lot's wife, she knew the one true God. And we know that she was rescued out of Sodom, and we know that she was leaving the city, and then she looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So why is this a solemn warning to Christ's church today? Just a couple things here to put this in the context of Luke 17. Why is Jesus giving us this warning? It is a solemn warning when we think of the person who is giving the warning. Jesus, who is the one who is full of love, the one who is full of mercy, full of compassion, he believed it was a good thing to remind us of Lot's wife. It is a solemn warning when we think of the subject Jesus is talking about in the context. What is he talking about? He's talking about his second coming. He's talking about the last days and the final judgment, and he's comparing it to the days of Noah and Lot. If you go back to uh, Luke 17, we see the direct context is that he's talking about during the last days, people are going to be up. If you look at verse 31, on that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. There's that that phrase there is directly connected to verse 32, where it says, remember Lot's wife, because what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. So that's that's the context there. It's also a solemn warning when we think of the persons to whom it was first given. Look at verse 22. Who is he giving this warning to? Is he giving it to the scribes and Pharisees and the multitudes and the crowds? Very interesting. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. And of course, the disciples, we all know, not all of them were true believers. There were definitely some that were professing, but they were not possessing. There was a difference there. But he was giving the message to the disciples. So that's also interesting because the majority of us in here are disciples. 
were either believers or were professing to believe. So this warning is for us as well. It is also a solemn warning when we think of the word that Jesus chose. In verse 32, he uses the verb, remember, remember. What does that mean? Remember what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to bring this again to our minds. He wants us to take heed. He wants us to remember the examples, this example from the Old Testament. This reminds us of a couple of verses in the New Testament. Romans 15, 4 says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're on the, we're the end of the ages, right? This is the end. We're near the end. We don't know how long it's going to be. But both of these verses say these things were written for our instruction so that we would remember them and take heed to them. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take heed. We're going to remember Lot's wife. So we're going to see three things this morning. And each one of them have a very direct application to our life. So the first blank there. First of all, we're going to look at the privileges. The privileges which Lot's wife enjoyed. What spiritual privileges or what religious privileges did she enjoy? During the time of the patriarchs, true saving religion or true saving faith and knowledge of the one true God was scarce on the earth. When we get to Genesis 12, God comes down and talks to Abraham. This is like a huge, massive development in the whole history of the world. Him coming down and talking to Abraham. Nobody had, there was very little knowledge of the one true God. There were no Bibles at that time. There were no churches. There were no gospel tracts. There wasn't even a printing press to print them at that point. There were no books, of course. There were no missionaries. There were so many things that we have today that they did not have. So compared to now, spiritual privileges then were very few. But compared to most during that time, Lot's wife did have way more privileges than most. We already looked at some of these things already. First of all, she had a righteous husband. She had Abraham as her uncle by marriage. And he was the father of the faithful. She had seen angels. How many people have seen angels? Maybe I shouldn't ask that question. <laughs> Okay, most of us have not seen angels. She's seen angels, and the angels were the ones who helped her escape. She had all kinds of privileges. Not as many as we have today, but she, compared to everybody else during that time period, she was blessed with all kinds of religious privileges. Ryle says, Compared with millions of her fellow creatures in her time, Lot's wife was a favored woman. So then now I want to ask this question. Did all those spiritual privileges have a good effect on, Lights, on Lot's wife? I think it's very clear that just by looking at what happened, the answer to that question is no. Ryle says this, she lived and died graceless, godless, impenitent, and unbelieving. 
the eyes of her understanding were never opened. Her conscience was never really aroused and quickened. Her will was never really brought into a state of obedience to God. Her affections were never really set upon things above. There are many people today like Lot's wife. People with lots of spiritual and religious privileges, but no affections for Christ. That's the other blank, by the way. People with lots of spiritual and religious privileges, but no affections for Christ. Listen to this. Ryle says, Learn then that the mere possession of religious privileges will save no one's soul. You may have spiritual advantages of every description. You may live in the full sunshine of the richest opportunities and means of grace. You may enjoy the best of preaching and the choicest instruction. You may dwell in the midst of light, knowledge, holiness, and good company. All this may be, and yet you yourself may remain unconverted and at last be lost forever. It is not privileges alone that men need. They need the grace of the Holy Spirit. So this raises an important question for us to think about. Are having spiritual or religious privileges not important then? They are very important, immensely helpful, but we should not rest on those privileges entirely upon them. Sometimes these privileges can bring harm. We've all seen this in people's lives. Sometimes those religious privileges, those spiritual privileges that lead us to Christ, they can sear the conscience of other people. They can increase responsibility. They can aggravate condemnation. Ryle gives a number of illustrations. This is one. The same sun that makes a living tree grow, dries up the dead tree. The Apostle Paul actually brings out this principle um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talks about when the gospel is proclaimed, there's a proclamation of truth, and it has this dual effect. Actually, I'd like for you to turn there real quick so we can eyeball that and look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There's this dual effect with the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the word. Obviously, the preaching of the gospel is a religious or spiritual privilege. There's many people that do not get to hear the gospel. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, interesting verses. The Apostle Paul is talking about himself and his teammates. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? This verse makes it very clear that there are some, when they hear the message, the effect that it has on them, it leads them to death. And some, it leads to life. There are numerous examples of people like Lot's wife in the scriptures who had lots of spiritual privileges but then they turned away. Let me just give two. We're going to mention a bunch of others later on, but two from the New Testament are Demas 
Remember the testimony of Demas? He was one of Paul's companions. He was on the missionary team, and it says that he turned away. He loved the present world. And probably the most famous of all, probably the first one that comes to your mind, is who? Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples. He walked with Jesus for three years plus. There's many examples. But we also, those of us in this room, we all know examples from our life of those who had great privileges and then turned away from them at least up to this point in their life, they've turned away from them. My wife's family, my in-laws taught at Bob Jones University. Their children all grew up, went to the academy, went to all the chapels, and one of her siblings has completely turned away is living a ungodly lifestyle. Members of the teen group, let's bring it closer to where we are. Members of the teen group, I taught firm foundations to downstairs over the fall of 2012. Some of them have completely abandoned all the privileges that they had a summer intern, okay, we're bringing it out to missions now. A summer intern, we had a guy come and spend a whole summer with my teammate in Cambodia for two months. And after that trip, completely turned against Christ, completely. Some of those I baptized in Posat, Cambodia, some of them have turned away. And that's just to name a few. We all, we all know, there's probably people in your mind right now that had great privileges and they turned away. And some of them are still living and we still have hope for them, don't we? We should have hope for them. There's The story is not over yet, right? Praise the Lord for that. But I just want to give a, a very stern challenge to the young people this morning children that are here, teenagers, to the children who have believing parents, please, please give heed to Ryle's warning and to Jesus's warning specifically to remember Lot's wife. Ryle says this, you cannot enter the kingdom of God on the credit of your parents' religion. You must eat the bread of life for yourself and have the witness of the spirit in your own heart. You must have repentance of your own, faith of your own, and sanctification of your own. If not, you are no better than Lot's wife. Let's move on to the second main point this morning. We've seen the privileges which Lot's wife enjoyed. Let's look now at the sin, the sin which Lot's wife committed. What was her sin? It's very, we don't have, we only have a few words. In a few and simple words, the sin that she committed was that she looked back. Maybe some are thinking right now, well, what was, that was just a little thing. What's the big deal? She just looked back. What did that look back reveal? There's at least three things here. Though that look was a little thing, it revealed, first of all, it revealed disobedience in Lot's wife. Disobedience. Actually, Pastor Joel talked about this this morning. I was like, he's starting to preach my sermon here. <laughs> to obey is more important than sacrifice. She disobeyed. God gave a clear command. She disobeyed. Number two, 
Though that look was a little thing, it revealed unbelief. She didn't really believe that God was going to destroy Sodom. I think a third thing, and this is maybe the, the root, maybe, of everything with regards to this sin. Though that look was a little thing, it revealed secret love for the world in Lot's wife. Her heart was still in Sodom. Though her, her body was outside the city, her heart and her affections were still in that city. Ryle says this, she seemed at one time on the road to safety, but even then, the lowest and deepest thoughts of her heart were for the world. Maybe you're still thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? She wasn't an adulteress. She wasn't a murderer. She wasn't a thief. She just missed home and wanted to look one more time at her home. What's the big deal? Her eye turned to the place where her treasure and affections were. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 21? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this brings us to another application. We saw, first of all, there are many people like Lot's wife because they have not... Um, They've, let's see here, where did I put it here? They they weren't, they didn't give heed to religious um, privileges. But secondly here, there are many people like Lot's wife because they love the world more than Christ. They love the world more than Christ. And this is a challenge for all of us, isn't it? They love the things God made. I say this many, many times in Khmer. I've said it in Thai as well. They love the things God made more than the God who made the things. Or to put it another way, they love the gifts. They love the gifts more than the giver. So we need to remember the sin. When we think about remembering Lot's wife, we need to remember the sin of Lot's wife. And those are three things. Disobedience unbelief, and a secret love for the world. J.C. Ryle was very concerned about this over 150 years ago. He writes this, I believe, this is just put, think about this, 150 years ago, or, okay, let's say about 1870, okay? He says this, I believe there never was a time when warnings against worldliness were so much needed by the Church of Christ as they are at the present time. Every age is said to have its own peculiar epidemic disease. The epidemic disease to which the souls of Christians are liable just now is the love of the world. Wow. If he's saying that, I wonder what he would be saying now. How much more in these days we live in, this sin of worldliness, focusing on the temporal, focusing on today, thinking about this is, this is for all of us. We need to be constantly reminded about our actions, our decisions every single day. What is driving us? What is our, where are our affections at? So many start well, and then the world is kind of like those foxes that spoil the vines that Solomon's talking about in Song of Solomon. There are foxes that come, and they spoil the vines. And over time, it's a gradual thing. Decisions are made, and people just keep on walking slowly away. Children of believing families, maybe when they're in elementary, they have a zeal for God, but then it vanishes when they reach high school. Married couples, they are firm and consistent when they have young children, 
and then they loosen up gradually when their kids get older. They are no longer strict about the company they keep. They are no longer strict about the places they visit, the things that they watch that maybe five, 10 years ago they would have never watched. The amount of screen time they allow. It's a gradual thing, so easy over time to just keep on loosening up. Pastors, missionaries, at the outset of their ministry, they seem very willing to spend and be spent for Christ, but then they get dull over the years. When they're in their late 20s, their 30s, there's that zeal and that desire to sacrifice, be willing to give and be spent for Christ. They, over time, they get more and more concerned about the opinions of man get more and more afraid of giving offense. They don't want to appear extreme. And we give up things that used to be things that we would never give up. Don't look back. Don't look back like like Lot's wife. Like Demas, we already mentioned him. Demas, it says in 2 Timothy 4, 9, and 10, it says, make every effort to come to me soon. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Make every effort to come to me soon for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Or the man that Jesus was talking to in Luke chapter 9. Remember those different people that came to him? Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's remember Lot's wife. Don't follow in her steps and look back. Last of all, this morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about the judgment, the judgment which God inflicted upon Lot's wife. We've seen her privileges. We've seen what her sin is, what her sin was. And now let's take a few moments and look at the judgment. What was her judgment? She became a pillar of salt. And she died hopeless. Ryle says this, but to die suddenly and in a moment, in the very act of sin, to die in full health and strength, to die by the direct act of an angry God, this is fearful indeed. It was a hopeless end. She went to hell. Why such a harsh punishment? Why is, we even talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. Why is such a harsh punishment for this little thing that she just looked back? The Bible is full of examples of those who sinned, and there's a phrase that's used in the original languages. It has the idea of sinning with a high hand. There are full of examples of those who sinned with a high hand against light, against knowledge, and they were destroyed immediately, suddenly. Korah, remember the story of Korah and his group of people that were on his side? Nadab and Abihu, remember what happened to them? Aaron's sons? Hophni and Phinehas? Eli's sons, King Saul, pastor read that this morning. God rejected him. Now, he didn't die immediately, but he did die pretty soon after that. Ahab, what a horrible ending of his life. Absalom, Belshazzar, the writing on the wall. I already mentioned Judas Iscariot, horrible end. 
Ananias and Sapphira. There's all kinds of examples. Lot's wife, of course, is our example that we're looking at this morning. Ryle says this, it is good to be reminded that God can punish sharply those who sin willfully and that great privileges misuse bring down great wrath on the soul. They tell us, like Lot's wife, that it is a perilous thing to sin against light. It is a perilous thing to sin against light. They tell us is that God hates sin and that there is a hell. There are many people today like Lot's wife. There was a quote from university that I went to by the president of that university, um, Dr. Bob Jones III, and he would have us say this statement in our chapel time. The most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. People are dying and going to hell today. Lot's wife, she went to hell. I just want to take a few moments here and just talk about this. There's been a general low amount of preaching in the recent decades on this topic of hell in our churches. It's just not popular to talk about. Many people consider it to be old-fashioned, obsolete. And we're told to embrace a kinder theology. And there's a very negative spirit about fire and brimstone preaching. Maybe some of that stems from abuses, like have it, how many of you have ever seen Pollyanna? Pollyanna, the movie Pollyanna. Okay, that's a really bad example. Okay, that's an abuse of fire and brimstone preaching. But we need more preaching and more reminders. And Pastor, I even brought this up during Sunday school too. We need more reminders about the doctrine of hell. Many in Ryle's day, Remember Ryle, 150 years ago, many in Ryle's day were beginning to question the doctrine of hell as eternal conscious torment. Those are three key words. We believe the scripture teaches clearly that hell is a real place and that it is a place of eternal conscious torment. Many in that day we're beginning to question this doctrine. Ryle says this, once let the old doctrine about hell be overthrown and the whole system of Christianity is unsettled, unscrewed, unpinned, and thrown into disorder. Hmm. It seems just as easy to argue that we do not exist as to argue that the Bible does not teach the reality and eternity of hell. Mm -hmm. The eternity of hell is as clearly affirmed in the Bible as the eternity of heaven. Once allow that hell is not eternal, and you may as well say that God and heaven are not eternal. These things are tied together. Actually, the, the Greek word for everlasting is the same. Everlasting punishment, everlasting life, and everlasting God. That's the same word. So if punishment is not everlasting, then life is not everlasting, and God is not everlasting. We would definitely not go down that. We must give hell its rightful place in our theology, and we must beware of any ministry which does not plainly teach the reality and eternity of hell. We must continue to preach about hell 
Ryle says this, it is impossible to leave out any portion of God's truth without spoiling the whole. All these things are connected together. That preaching is sadly defective, which dwells exclusively on the mercies of God and the joys of heaven and never sets forth the terrors of the Lord and the miseries of hell. It's not and it's not this or it's both. We need to be talking about both of them. We do need to be talking about the mercies of God and the joys of heaven, but we also need to be setting forth on a regular basis, not only to unbelieving people, which is very important when we're doing evangelism, that we bring out the judgment, the coming judgment, and the reality of hell as eternal conscious torment. Yes, but we also need to be bringing it before the believers. We need to be reminded of this theology. So this, this reminder here of remembering Lot's wife, part of that is the fact that she was judged and she went to hell. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you desire to be a healthy Christian, we must also consider often what our end will be. I am certain that there are some in this room that have not yet repented, have not yet turned and embraced Christ. The Bible emphatically states that you are under God's judgment. The same chapter, John 3, 16, we all know that, for God so loved the world. How does that chapter end? Those who believe not the wrath of God. And is on them. John 3.36. So let's bring everything together here. In our message this morning, we have seen the history of Lot's wife. We've seen her privileges. We've seen her sin. And we've seen her judgment. We've talked about three things related to those three things. First of all, we've talked about the uselessness of privileges without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you these questions. Are you resting, like Lot's wife, on your spiritual and religious privileges? Particularly, I'm talking to, talking to everybody, but particularly to the young people the teenagers, those of you who have grown up in this environment, which is a very helpful, immensely helpful. What a great privilege you have. There's people that go off to these Bible colleges where my kids are at, and they go through the school there, and they leave lost. What, what danger they're in. Great danger. Are you trusting like Lot's wife, on your religious knowledge? Number two, we saw the danger of worldliness and looking back. A couple questions to throw out. Are you lukewarm and cold like Lot's wife in your Christianity? Are you halting like Lot's wife between two opinions, disposed to go back to the world? Are you secretly cherishing, like Lot's wife, some besetting sin? And the third thing we talked about this morning is the reality of hell and the reality of future judgment. Are you, like Lot's wife, heading to a place of eternal conscious torment called hell? Let me plead with you. I don't know your hearts, but I'm pretty certain that there are some in this room that do not know Christ. You have been given great privilege this morning to hear the message. 
this wonderful message. You've heard these songs sung. There's millions of people outside that did not hear this. This is an invitation to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Repent. Come to Christ. Those to whom much is given, much is required. You have heard the message of salvation this morning. Come to Christ today. Do not delay. Come now. Talk to one of the church leaders. Talk to one who is a believer. They will help you. They'll help you come to Christ and lead you and give you some direction. Do not go down the path of Lot's wife. That is our what Jesus is trying to do in reminding us in this passage to remember Lot's wife. That is my plea to each of you, both believers and unbelievers this morning. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this warning by your son, Jesus, when he was here on this earth in the context of discussing the second coming and the last days and the coming judgment, you boldly reminded us to go back to the Old Testament and remind ourselves of what happened to Lot's wife. I pray that this morning that there would be no one who would follow in the footsteps of Lot's wife, that they would not turn away from the religious and spiritual privileges that they had, that they would not go after the world and desert, and that they would not go into a Christless eternity in a place of eternal conscious torment please lord have mercy on their soul may your holy spirit bring conviction to their hearts we pray all these things in christ's name 